Welcome to The Refuge, a CERC podcast to share our research with practitioners and communities. We are starting today's episode with Fida's story of her experience as a young refugee recorded and shared with the permission of JU, a Toronto-based charity committed to sharing human rights stories through the arts. My name is Fida. I'm 12 years old and I'm from Syria. I'm happiest when I'm with my family. Honestly, I don't have friends here yet, but I wish to make one special friend. In Syria, I had a friend named Farah and we loved each other. We left Syria to go to Jordan and on the way they started shooting at us and I saw people dying in front of my eyes. Farah died in front of me. The others were fine, thank God. When we went to Jordan, the people weren't nice to us at all, though a few families were good. Many said that we stole their land and that we're bad people. They forbid Syrians from working in Jordan, but thank God we managed. In Damascus, my father had a shop and one day the government came and arrested him at work. My mom didn't tell us that our father was in prison, but I overheard her talking to my grandma once and I heard her saying that he had been arrested. It was a big shock for me. My mom tried to calm me down and convince me that dad was still working, but I didn't believe her. It doesn't matter where I am. All that matters is for me to feel safe. And when I'm with my family, it feels like I'm back home. I saw some of my friend's parents die in front of my eyes. So I'm thankful to God for keeping my parents with me. I love Syria. It's my first country. I was born and raised in it. For me, it's like a second mom. Canada is now a second home. Thank you, Canada. I love it here because they treated us with love and care. On the other hand, I hated Jordan because people there were hypocrites. When I first came to Canada, I went to happy camp and they treated us like normal kids. They were very nice to us and greeted us kindly by gathering all the Syrians in one place and making us one whole family. I'd like to give some advice. Don't underestimate yourself because one day you will be able to make something amazing for this earth. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Israel. My guests today are Dr. Gemetru Abeshu, a postdoctoral research fellow at York University, uh, focused on refugee integration, uh, internally displaced persons, emerging forms of political power and conflicts and resolution systems. He's originally from Oromia in Ethiopia and currently resides in Toronto, Canada. I um, also have Dr. Jean Dedou Basabose, a research for Whole Family Lab at the University of Waterloo, a passionate peace builder who's currently interested in using his refugee experience to promote community-based research that fosters and supports resilience, integration, and well-being of refugee families. And we also have Ridab Aljanede, a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Psychology at the University of Toronto. Her research focuses on refugees and migrant children's development, education, and well-being. Thank you so much for coming to The Refuge today. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you. So... I'll start with you, Redab. Do you want to share a little bit about some of your work uh, with Cirque? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, well, I'm now in the Department of Psychology at University of Toronto, Mississauga, and my research focuses on uh, raising the awareness of uh, the importance of mental well-being in refugee children and families. Um, it's, a, it's a nice project. It's called SPRINT, that support for sociality and resilience in newcomer transitions. So we focus on addressing the needs, challenges and strengths and also supporting the mental well-being of the resettled refugees in Canada. Mm. And uh, Gemetru, what's your research on? Um, thank you, Israel. Um, um, currently, I am working on um, a research project that attempts to understand the experience of racialized refugees um, in Canada in general and in Toronto in particular. Um, but I'm also um, part um, working with Access Alliance um, to understand the impact of family separation on refugee use. Um, focusing on refugees, primarily from Middle East and Africa. Mm. <clears throat> and John? Yeah, um, since 2019, I have been uh, uh, involved in uh, a research project on the well emotional well-being of refugee newcomers in this region, in the region of Wararu, and uh, uh, particularly currently, of course, inspired by the previous research, we are we are um, conducting uh, two research projects. Uh, the first one is on uh, enhancing cultural literacy in uh, uh, refugee mental health services. Uh, with this research, I have really uh, aimed to uh, uh, create or to propose a culturally integrated approach to. Or promoting uh, refugee mental health. And the second project is on um, uh, domestic violence. We are under understanding domestic violence in refugee families. Uh, and the main idea or the main uh, uh, purpose of this research is to inform the development of an, a culturally integrated approach to uh, conflict management in refugee families. Mm. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing uh, about your research. And you mentioned mental health. I'm wondering, um, I'll, go, I'll start with you, Gemichu. What are some key challenges you've noticed uh, when it comes to the mental health of refugee youths? So um, based on the research conducted at Access Alliance um, with a generous funding from CYRCC, RRC, um, we um, had um, we conducted a research on the impact of family separation um, and laws on refugees, and um, the finding is the finding in one way corroborates the existing literature on the issue. Um, what is really important is the um, the key um, mental health issues are. Uh, PTSD, um, depression, and anxiety. Um, but this is a, um, a headline message. Um, in order to understand the actual nitty-gritty, we need to disaggregate it. Mm. One, um, unaccompanied refugees are more prone to uh, PTSD, uh, um, trauma, and stress more so than accompanied um, refugees. 
Um, secondly, uh, refugees who were separated from their mothers tend to be more affected than um, those who were separated, uh, separated from their fathers. Um, so it is really important to kind of disaggregate and look into the nuances when we speak about mental health challenges um, affecting um, refugees. Um, just in terms of um, severity and importance, um, the order of mental health affecting refugees uh, is PTSD comes first, mm. followed by uh, depression and anxiety. That's what the study um, showed us so far. Yeah, Rida, I noticed you noting. You want to add to that? Yeah, well, actually, when we're talking about youth, we know that they arrived to Canada at a critical age that really um, everything around them is affecting their developmental stages. So they have been exposed to pre-adversities and post-adversities. So, for example, before coming to a new country like Canada, they have been exposed to war-related violence, to uh, interrupted education, living in refugee camps, and sometimes some of them, the, the loss of uh, family members or beloved relatives, right? When they came to Canada, there has been also an additional burden to them, um, such as integrating into a new culture, mm. learning a new language, and also adjusting to the you know, to the to the new community they're facing. Mm. So we found that a lot of the refugee families and youth, they have been experiencing um, severe mental health problems, such as, as uh, um, Dr. Abishu mentioned, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, as well as problems with uh, controlling their emotions. So, yeah, so these are some of the mental health problems that I think that they're more prominent in, in refugee population in general and specifically in youth. John, do you want to add something to that? Yeah, uh, maybe that I'm thinking of uh, uh, the young uh, uh, people who are separated with their families, especially those who are separated with their either the father or mother. Uh, they don't have chance to be uh, to receive uh, parental education, uh, and this really affected them and affected them not only today, but also in their future. Uh, uh, so this is something also important. And uh, uh, when we look at uh, their emotional situation, uh, they may, many of youth, uh, refugee youth, are not uh, open to report uh, some incidents such as racism or discrimination they may face yeah, because of one, they, they, they don't trust, they need to trust the institutions and also they have not enough uh, power, I may say, to either to resist or to report because they're still struggling with integration process, you know. Yeah, so those are other issues also that uh, would that, uh, uh, call our attention as a researcher. Mm. Kemetu, uh, Jean just mentioned something about uh, racism and discrimination. Does that compound uh, to the mental challenges that the youth face? Um, in, 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 in a way, yes. Um, our uh, study really directly look into how um, racism and discrimination affect uh, mental health. Um, but there are um, findings um, 
that they speak to it. Um, for instance, um, refugees when they were um, brought to schools because um, because of their age, uh, most of them didn't really finish school. Um, they felt they were discriminated against um, because of their race, because of their um, accent, um, uh, because of their religion, and so on. Which kind of um, reinitiate the past trauma. So um, Jean speaks uh, brought up a very good point about how refugees uh, relieve the trauma that they uh, faced uh, before coming to Canada. Bear in mind that most of them come from conflict-prone areas. So they faced violence, be it um, domestic or um, conflict or what have you. Um, so when they come here and experience discrimination, they tend to be cornered and relieve the trauma and the, um, the distress and all that. Um, so yes, discrimination and, and racism plays into uh, the mental health challenge that the refugees uh, experience here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, um, generally established literature. I mean, it's not just specific to Canada. Mm-hmm. Mm. Something that you mentioned is the difference between accompanied and un- unaccompanied youths. Let's talk a little bit about the accompanied youths, uh, people that are in a family unit. What roles, if any, does a family play when it comes to the uh, mental health challenges of the youths, um, Rita? Yeah, well, accompanied youth, when we talk about accompanied youth, we're talking about like their family and community, they are the social domain for them. So their fam- the family, the, the well-being of the family is reflecting on, on the youth, right? So if the, the, the parents are uh, facing uh, PTSD or anxiety, that will also reflect on the children and the youth. So we can, we, we're here, we're not looking at individuals only, we're looking at the whole, you know, a system from the family, the community, and every member in, in their social domain. Mm. So I believe that the, the family plays a huge, important role in affecting and, you know, supporting the youth or the children within a family, mm. because their well-being is also part of their children's well-being. Mm. 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 Jean, do you have something to add to that? Yeah, for uh, youth living with their families, mm. uh, yeah, they okay. I may say that they, they are lucky because they are they are other youth that are an companion. Uh, but though there is a positive uh, uh, aspect of living with their families, but there are also some challenges in terms of you know managing the relationships, dyadic relationship or parents and uh, children relationships, uh, especially during the, for example, during the COVID time where families where uh, everyone has to had to stay at home, they have been questioned uh, around safety of staying at home Mm. Uh, during that uh, particular time, whereas young people are, uh, they, they sometimes not want to comply with those kind of heavy rules, and they want to go out and explore. Uh, and parents have fear of having them getting contracted of COVID. So those situations also are 
created a numbers of conflicts. Of course, in addition to the pre and during and post migratory stress that the experience that they have uh, they have lived in the past. Mm. Mm. You know, just thinking there are refugee youths dealing with trauma, mental health is a part of it. There's a stigma with sharing or talking about that. Uh, Gameshu, what are some ways you uh, you apply to remove or reduce that barrier uh, that the stigma attached to mental health? Our research has shown that, and um, bear in mind, uh, most of the refugee youth come from Middle Eastern and African countries where uh, mental health issues to this day are um, a taboo. Uh, they are not openly discussed, neither within a family or in the wider community. Um, and it is, uh, it is not expected um, that as soon as they arrive in Canada, they change and openly speak about it. Um, so the idea of the, uh, the uh, norm of stigmatizing mental health issues live with them. One of, um, um, relatively speaking, uh, successful um, approach was to engage them in um, a group uh, art exercise where they uh, express their mental health issues without actually using words. Mm. Um, um, so um, there are several quotes. I'm, I mean, given the time, I will not be reading it, but there are several instances where they explicitly state they don't know how to speak about it um, due to the stigma they live through. But um, there are um, evidences which showed that the group art exercises such as drawings on the wall to express their internal feelings have been very um, fruitful and effective in um, addressing those issues. Mm. Um, I will come back to it after the other panelists speak. Mm. Rita? Yeah, well, in our research, we examined like what are the challenges that face the refugee families um, involving the youth. So, um, and we also looked at like what some of the recommendations that um, some of our participants in in our research would recommend to overcome the mental health stigma, um, because it's a it's a topic. It's a huge topic for some cultures, especially for the Middle Eastern um, population and the the Syrian refugees were those Middle Eastern refugees come from. Uh, so for mental health stigma, it has been recommended that um, um, increasing the psychoeducation is a very interesting um, tool that can support mental health stigma. Uh, particularly for youth, we can talk about uh, involving them in the community and you know try to have small group discussions and allowing them to speak out of their mental health and you know trying to assure them that it is something normal uh, it's something okay and it's it's a normal feeling that what you are feeling it doesn't contradict with any social uh, norms or cultural norms so it's fine to talk about it and speak about it and then they can learn some coping strategies that can support their mental health and gradually they can overcome their mental health stigma mm. uh, it's interesting in part of our sprint project that part of it is a needs assessment that examines like 
what is the perspective of the refugee families and service providers with respect to like the needs and the challenges of the refugee children and families in general so the topic was from service of providers perspective they said that they came up with creative ideas uh, for names for mental health programs in order to you know to um, try to attract the refugee uh, members of the community to involve in these workshops and try to speak about mental health in an indirect way because if they approach them and they said oh this workshop is about mental health and we are talking about it they will not be willing to join but when they use like something that more creative uh, a more um, title that is more general to the community involvement and something like that they were more receiving to that concept research have also shown that um, these communities they really have been positively receiving any mental health treatment so with psych education it can really increase the awareness and then reflect on their mental well-being. Mm. Yeah, Kim do you want to jump back in? Um, no. <clears throat> so just to say that um, um, <clears throat> um, one of the um, um, useful way to address the stigma around mental health issue is to tailor uh, culturally sensitive, culturally sensitive um, services. Um, we, we are in Canada and we're speaking about Canada, of course, there are services. Um, but there are findings which show that, that some of those services are not culturally um, sensitive enough. Yeah. I will tell you um, about the story of one girl who was sexually abused back home um, before coming to Canada. And because of that, she lived through trauma. So when she came here, uh, people who know about her, her stories um, tried to nudge her to speak openly, um, but she refused because uh, it's not just the mental health issues, but the causes of the mental health issues themselves could be um, stigmatized. So culturally sensitive services um, and addressing issues of language as well, even if you want to speak about it, um, um, language could also be a barrier. Um, so these could be areas where um, to further think about and um, address. Mm, mm, thanks for adding that. Because, um, you know, language is something that is a barrier, just that. And then culture differs. Like I, I myself moving from uh, Nigeria, then living in South Africa, moving here, there are things that are well, a little bit of a shock to me. So I can't even imagine someone that comes with trauma and trying to. So, yeah. But talking of that, uh, Rita mentioned coping strategies. And I'm thinking, John, what are some coping strategies you've noticed um, help the youth that are facing mental health challenges? Um. Uh that's it to uh, to add what Redab and uh, Damich was saying. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to having uh, or to ensuring that services are culturally sensitive and uh, uh, linguistically uh, appropriate, uh, I think uh, we need also to recommend the, the improving client and uh, uh, providers relationships and to ensure that relationships are uh, trusting there is trusting the rapport 
between uh, uh, service providers and uh, and uh, the youth, and also to be creative and use uh, approach that engage are engaging more peer to peer uh, support. That would be interesting for especially for youth, because they may be willing open up to their peer youth than someone else. Uh, yeah. Mm. Rita, uh, you you mentioned the coping strategies. What are some of these strategies? Yeah, I would like to add to what Jane has mm -hmm. said, is that some of the coping strategies is the mentoring programs that can be done between the refugee youth and members of like, youth from the uh, from the community, because this is not only will exchange the experiences between the two people, but would also, um, you know, save the personal and the cultural identity of the refugees, because it is very hard for them just like to to adjust to the new culture but like i think a a blend of a new culture and an old culture in a way of an acculturation we we call it it can be like work really perfectly so i i emphasize on the point of mentoring programs not only for for you but also for families and children and also with some of the coping um, strategies that can be implemented we know that the youth age it's the age where um all youth in Canada, they are collecting their volunteer hours. They are blending in the in the community and working. So it's very important for service providers and services in general that are directed to refugees to you know um, create and implement you know some specific programs that can support the refugee youth and blend them in the community in a in a way that could you know, show their talents and show what they have and what they can give to the Canadian uh, community. Um, also, we can talk about the like, good peer relationships because we know like from our research, we found that a lot of the parents, they uh, pointed out the point of um, some of the youth they've been involved in, in gang, um, gang acts and gang groups and also some, uh, you know, negative peer influence so supporting the good peer relationship is really important and how the youth they can direct it in in a positive and in a, in a good direction mm. I, you? I see you nodding <laughs> yeah um very good points raised um so um there were two or three areas um, which our research um identified um um, the first one is the importance of spirituality in coping with mental health issues. Um, depending on uh, whichever religion they belong to, they say, they tend to find hope in um, uh, placing themselves um, in their um, in the religion, and that um, um, came up to be one of the most useful way they cope up with mental health issues. The second um, finding was staying focused um, on their tasks and on their goals. And um, I think that's also related to how um, they see their purpose uh, here. Um, our search was mainly focused about unaccompanied refugees um, and it means that they've been separated from their family for a long time and they are subjected to long distance relationships, if at all one exists. 
So a sense of staying focused to your task, focused to your work, focused to your goal, uh, create purpose for their life. Mm. Um, the third point is um, the importance of peers and creating relationships. And I, I can't resist the temptation to read one quotation, um, if you allow me. Um, so one of the interview participants said, "I if I feel in a bad mood, or if I am sad or depressed, I talk to my friends and they do the same things for me. So because we all grew up in the same place and we have the same experiences, we can understand each other's and it helps us like, like relate to whatever the other person is going through. So the importance of um, that peer relationship, knowing that um, the person you are speaking to or the person you are with sharing your agonies and you know what your challenge has gone through or at least understand the challenge that you're going through mm. um the other the other point is the importance of um relating with community because it, it forms the bonds of belonging that you are not alone you belong somewhere um you are uprooted from your home country but at least you have some community here where you belong um, these were the key findings from the research conducted at Access Alliance. And I wanted to comment maybe on the spirituality part that it is really, regardless of the religion of, uh, of uh, the refugees, it is an important part in supporting their mental health and their integration. And in, it, it's really nice because we see that in our study, also caregivers, they emphasize that even though they are in Canada, they're learning another language, it's a different culture, but they're really so, um, you know, uh, enthusiastic about like um, learning the English language at the same time, preserving their Arabic language and preserving the religious um you know, uh, practices, worshiping, because these also for in terms of like the Middle Eastern culture, culture it acts as buffering the incompatible majority of the um, of the, the culture of the majority uh, country, right? Because like there are different cultures, but when you're more connected to your religion, you can like be more aware of what is correct, what is wrong, and like in which direction you would like to go, especially mm. for the youth. Wow. This is really, really enlightening conversation. Um, and I have so many questions, but I want to tidy up by asking you all this same question. I'll start with Jean Yu. What are some recommendations for uh, working with and helping youths with mental health challenges? Uh, you know, I have been working with uh, the U University of Wadaru and uh, the Sanctuary Refugee Health Center. And one of the Key uh, key element or key aspect of the work at Sanctuary is to make sure that the service is uh, trauma informed uh, and to uh, prepare or to equip uh, uh, service providers with this understanding of what does it mean. Uh, a trauma-informed service. What about uh, possibility of the traumatization, uh, especially during uh, the, 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 the crisis, like uh, we faced a crisis uh, uh, two years ago uh, with uh, the pandemic. Uh, so, uh, and uh, make sure that the service providers are 
ready to accommodate uh, the behavior or attitude or that of the youth. That is the best that will lead them to help them uh, effectively. And another recommendation is uh, okay, applying, <laughs> I always trust, I uh, believe in applying socio-ecological approach to those, uh, this problem, uh, because it is a way to engage multi-stakeholders in, uh, in, uh, in, the, in the process. Uh, because organizations provide uh, service providers uh, uh, having or building different partnerships may work together collaboratively to to address the problem. What services are not available here? It may be available in uh, in other organization. So those are that's a few of recommendations I can give. Gemetri. Um, mental health issue, um, by its very nature, um, necessitates the participation of all relevant stakeholders um, if it is to be mitigated. Um, so it can't be left to, for instance, uh, the refugees themselves or the parents or the service providers alone. Um, it is very important that all stakeholders uh, play their role, including the community uh, in which they live. Um, but for now, I will just emphasize one point, and that is um, working on ensuring that um, services are available uh, and accessible uh, and are culturally sensitive. Um, because we, we just to reiterate um, the fact that we're speaking about refugees who come from totally different cultural background. And it is really vital that um, the services available are accessible to them. Um, and that um, the use, the refugees, um, have an assistant in terms of language as well. And I just want to emphasize that among other so many recommendations. Um, because the service of provision need to be institutionalized, um, and with that regard, um, um, availability and accessibility of services. Um, but bearing in mind, uh, mental health issues cannot be addressed only by one stakeholder. Mm. And uh, Rita? Yeah, with respect to recommendations, I think it's a, it's a long list to go through, but I'm going to like try to summarize like most of the important points. And I think we already took points on some of them earlier. We talked about uh, the importance of mentorship programs. We talked about increasing psychoeducation, but I would really add my voice to the voices of um, the guests also to add like and emphasize the um the importance of um, implementing culturally sensitive trauma-informed um, services, because this is really important. We're talking about a population that comes from uh, a different culture with different language um, and different, you know, um, uh, social norms. So when we're talking about, it starts well. It is like kind of like a whole system. So first, we can talk about the services, and they need to start to building a trust with the refugee community, 
and addressing like the, the needs. And that can only be done by talking to the refugee community and involving them um, and addressing their needs. It's very important to understand the refugee population in general, like what is the family structure of this refugee population? What are their linguistic needs and what are their cultural norms in order to you know, address their, uh, their needs and support them. And also involving them and then respecting their needs and try to address them in a way that will, um, you know, uh, support their mental health. And yeah, so I think that this is the, the most important point that I would like. Yeah, I want to add some something else. Uh, uh, I have been just uh, underlined that when working with refugees, please, uh, sometime, they are considered as a victim. Uh, but I want to see them as people who have made, who have been made a victim. And they can do something. So it is important to engage them, to, to make sure that they are participating. Every, uh, all those initiatives done for them should be done for mm-hmm. and with them. Um, yeah, that was amazing. John, Gemetrio, and Rita, thank you so much for sharing your experience, expertise, and the research you've done. Thank you for the amazing work, and thank you for coming to the refuge today. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you.